HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register now for PASA's 2024 conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Don't miss over 70 educational sessions on farming and food systems, plus an expansive trade show. Learn more at pasafarming.org slash HRN2024. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Leah Haberman, a marketing consultant for brands including AT&T, Robert Half, Riot Games, Viral Nation, and more. Leah is an instructor of influencer marketing and social media marketing at UCLA Extension and writes a weekly creator economy newsletter called ICYMI, in case you missed it, to help over 15,000 industry pros stay up to date on platform news, social trends, and brand campaigns. My whole team, I think you know this, Leah, is obsessed with the newsletter and everything that you write on LinkedIn. Um, And I'm not surprised at all that Leah was named a top creator economy voice by Business Insider. So welcome, and I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, we are kicking off the new year um, talking about Social media, really. And I think when I reached out to you, you had written something and it was weird because it was like we were talking about it in the office that day too. And this kind of idea that on a macro level, social media now just feels like media, like period. And it doesn't feel social so much anymore as it feels like you know, a place where you would go to advertise, but you can't look like you're advertising. It has to look super authentic and organic, et cetera. So you're the expert. What's going on? 
Um, well, I mean, social, they're still social, but I think social between, you know, friends and family and regular people has kind of disappeared mm-hmm. into these smaller spaces, into communities, into DMs, into stories. You know, we had the head of Instagram telling us that is where people are going on Instagram, regular people. What's taken mm-hmm. over the feed on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube is creators and brands. But I think to your point, it needs to look like, you know, the original version of social that was very kind of relatable, real, raw that people wanted to see. Um, so I think creators and brands, brands especially, are trying to reimagine how they show up on social in a way that um, is, like you said, is it's really media, it's entertainment. I mean, I think that's one right. thing that we've seen, especially post pandemic. People want to be entertained. People want to mm-hmm. scroll. They want to laugh. They want to be surprised. They just want to pass time. Um, yeah. You know, I think people want to be entertained when they're online. Yeah. Is, is the thing. It, it, you know, before we were recording, I was telling you sort of about my industry and who who's listening. And, you know, it just, it's like yet another hard thing. I feel like, honestly, like, brands have to not only kind of be everywhere, but we have to be everywhere and engaged. Like everyone, I guess the social part is that you put out this entertainment, let's say, for your community, and then you have to be in this conversation. Um, it's not passive. It's not like, yay, we we put it out there and now on to the next thing. It's it's It requires a lot of, you know, like hand-holding, which is a lot for a small team and a small business. And yet it seems like the only real path to building that community because there is so much noise out there. So yes, at the same time as you're building a business, you're essentially shooting a reality series that's Mm -hmm. running concurrently along with your business. So you're running a media Mm -hmm. business and you're running the business that you have. Um, I think it, you know, depending on how uh, comfortable you are with, you know, TikTok, with picking up your phone and shooting video, with not being too precious about how Mm -hmm. the content comes across and kind of leaving that very produced, polished, um, uh, orchestrated moments behind, um, I think you're going to have a much easier time of this than if you came up with kind of thinking about, you know, this is a campaign and we want it to look good and how's it going to roll out? And, you know, we're going to do it with a full on production. Um, This is very much, we are in like the reality series era and there are some brands that do it really well. Um, Primarily, I would say we're seeing it on TikTok, you know, first, but I think that Mm -hmm. it is going to spread across the other, the other platforms as well. So let's dive into that a little bit because I, you know, I was reading about your, your thoughts for 24 and it's yeah. entertainment, episodic content, that TV show kind of thing, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, more dramatic, like, oh no, what's going to happen with the machine that needs to get fixed that makes our puffs or, you know, more right. newsy about what's happening or, you know something that is a hook that kind of resembles a, a TV show that we're sort of used to. But something you said that was where I was like, uh-oh, 
was that kind of recurring, um, predictable timing. I think that's what trips up brands sometimes. You know, it's like having something that is consistent, that people know to tune into, that sort of releases in a fairly sort of mechanized way. Is that really important? To me, that's almost, um, that's kind of a benefit. The consistency keeps you on a schedule um, so that you're not randomly posting. And yeah, it was kind of pointing back to that idea of look at the elements of what people loved about TV, whether it was reality TV or weekly series, and pick up on those elements. So, you know, you've got recurring characters, you've got jingles, or like on TikTok, we're Mm -hmm. calling them different things, trending audio, sonic booms, but, you know, sounds or music people love to hear. There's a familiar set. There's a theme that runs throughout it. Um, And you Mm -hmm. do have this regular weekly episode slot or content drop. Um, You know, I think the other idea, another theme that we're seeing is um, more quality content, but less of it. So I do think Mm -hmm. in that you're putting out maybe once a week on a consistent schedule, but maybe you're only putting out once a week as opposed to you're putting out every single day or you're putting out content three times a day. Um, And so I think it's like, it's trying to make it more manageable, trying to think about, um, you know, and when I say like kind of quality content, that does not mean more produced. I think it's just, you've maybe thought about it a little bit more or you've been a little bit more intentional about, okay, what is the story that we're telling? Um, And there's a, there's a brand on TikTok called Set Active. And if you look at Set Active's TikTok account, it's essentially what the office would look like if it was shot now and on TikTok. Um, You see the founder, you see the other characters in the office. There are, you know, things happen as they do every day in an office. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. things don't really happen. And it's, you know, (laughs) not quite as exciting or not quite as funny. Um, So that's how I see it. And so, okay, so that's helpful because I think for a minute there, TikTok, like, when we all sort of were like, oh, wow, we got to be on this thing. It was just like, go, go, go. Something will hit, something will click. You know, now this does feel a little bit more manageable. This is probably a little, to your point, you have to have a little bit more of a sense of humor, a little bit more originality. You know, you can't be futzing around with like trending things that seem to have gone viral elsewhere. You know, fortunately, I think for brands, we've all realized that like virality does not actually lead to, you know, sustained increase in sales. So I think that is is no longer a goal. It was attention does not equal intention, mm, you know, intention to purchase. Right. And I just thought yes. that was a really great quote. And I think everybody should carry that into 2024, speaking to what you're saying about virality not necessarily leading to sales attention does not equal intention. So yeah, that's a really, really good one. Yeah. There's been a lot of discussion. I mean, I got a shout out Ashley on my team who like two years ago was like, I look at saves. I look at forwards. I'm just not looking at followers. And I being the founder was like, but, but, you know, but, (laughs) and, uh, she held fast. And so I guess that, I guess that's, you know, good for her. I hope she's listening because yay, Ashley. Um, so, so we do, we have to make these own, these little mini TV shows, um, 
and find ways. I, I was listening to something you said, and you were talking about it, if you were a bathing suit brand, not necessarily making a TV show about your bathing suits, but making a TV show about pools around the world or something yes. like that, where it's, so what do you, what, like, what's the essence of that for people? Because it, it's almost like there's a lot of founders telling their stories on social media. And I can't imagine that people aren't a little bored of mm-hmm. that. So what do you think is separating kind of like the great ones from the ones that maybe aren't as compelling? Is it the people? Is it the personalities? Like, What do you think it is? I mean, personality definitely helps. I think story helps. I think there's a lot of different ways to tell your story. I think the founder story is great. I still think, you know, the hero's journey, people love to cheer other people mm-hmm. on. So I don't think you know, the founder story will ever go away as kind of a a storytelling format to get your brand story across. Um, But I think it's thinking about nobody wants an infomercial. That's essentially, you know, if you get nothing else from this, it's like, do not make an infomercial. What you're trying to do is think about almost more kind of a, a product placement, Um, And when I was, you know, that, that conversation um, about bathing suits, for example, it's thinking about where would our product be? um, Where would it be used? Who would be using it? In what context? Are there other things people might be doing? And how can we tap into that? Um, What are other circumstances around our product or our service that people might be participating in um, that we can kind of, you know, like yep. lean into as a yep. way to tell our story. Can you picture yep. us here? Can you imagine us on a picnic, on vacation, um, you know, in a kid's backpack, um, mm-hmm. just thinking about other ways to tell the story versus, you know, just a buy this product. Here's our product. Yep. Um, you know, new launch from us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's just the constant sell is just, people are tuning it out. It's white noise. Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, we were talking about, so we, we made a YouTube channel in COVID and, Mm -hmm. you know, it gets views. It doesn't get, you know, tens of thousands of views. We got one, we had one crazy, you know, top of the page, I don't know, whatever they call it. Like when we did something about choosing cookware, it had nothing to do with cooking with our products at all. It was just, I basically was like, this is the pan you need. This is the, <laughs> the you know, Dutch oven you need. And this is how you choose stainless versus nonstick or whatever it is. And it just went bonanza. Um, but, you know, part of me is like, oh, did we, were we, we weren't really selling, but we were perhaps, it was a little bit too tightly wound. I guess is, is the word I would say it was, it was maybe a little bit more infomercially than casually just cooking in our kitchen and using some sauce. You know, it was, it was formulaic because we felt like it should be. Um, now I'm sort of like, maybe, you know, maybe we missed the mark on that a little bit, but I'm also kind of curious about, let's say, you know, you're a brand and you make this good content and, and it's, it's not tightly wound and it's good. How is it getting out there? Like how, how is, is the platform 
Is the algorithm kind of rewarding that type of content? Is it, I mean, how do we compete with, you know, the Mr. Beasts of the world, I guess? And that's the $89 gazillion question. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, you're not competing with Mr. Beast. Like, that's the first. Like, none of us are competing. Nobody's competing with Mr. Beast. I think he is just, right. he's so far ahead. Like, nobody's catching up. And I think it's really right. platform dependent. You know, right now, for example, um, TikTok is very into over 60 seconds. Um, they want you on mm. TikTok shop. They want you live streaming. Um, they want a hook within the first three seconds and they want a face on camera. They just released an ad report where, you know, having a face on camera right from in the thumbnail and from the get go um, increases recall, um, increases, you know, the power of the hook at the beginning of the video. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's super specific. Um, Yeah. Instagram, like, and again, like I said, it's platform specific Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I I think we're all struggling a little bit just to figure out, you know, what part of Instagram, um, is a priority this year. I think Mm -hmm. last year going into, you know, whether it was 2022, 2023, I think it was really clear. Like Instagram was really pushing reels hard. I think this year Mm -hmm. they really pulled back. I think this year they introduced broadcast channels. Um, They introduced threads. They've introduced notes. They're introducing so many features for stories. Um, They've introduced a lot of, you know, close friends features. So you can have close friends, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. posts in the feed. Um, So I think, you know, some of that speaks to Instagram is almost like nurturing these smaller, closer communities that mm-hmm. creators and individuals are creating. Can brands lean into that? I know a couple of people, um, you know, small companies or startups were excited about the idea of close friends uh, posts in the feed because that's mm-hmm. something that you can offer to like VIP customers, for example. Right. You can always find some element of Instagram that you can offer to like a small select group of customers that you, you kind of offer as like an added bonus. Um, so I think that's, that's Instagram and it's not exactly the same as TikTok. I think, you know, previously last year we would have looked at like, okay, well, they're pretty much all the same. Everybody just wants short form Mm -hmm. video under 60 seconds. I think this year we're starting to see a little bit of a shift in the ways that people are going. Um, YouTube, you know, YouTube shorts still doing really well. I do think creators are starting to see it's harder to monetize shorts. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think in terms of as a brand, I would look at YouTube. I still think like YouTube's goldmine is its long form content and its ability to tell bigger, better, more in-depth stories with more nuance and detail. Um, So, you know, and, and that requires, like you said, that does require more work. It requires more scripting, more production, mm-hmm. a little bit more editing, maybe to, cr- to create yep. a long form video. Um, you know, I think people are using it as a search engine. Um, teenagers love it. I think if you can think of a way to show up on YouTube, that makes sense for your brand in a long form content format. Um, do you have a cooking series? Um, yes. Anything, I think YouTube, especially, I mean, listen, YouTube, you know, of course there was television, but after television, the idea of doing like a weekly episodic series, um, yes, 
Currently, that has been kind of in YouTube's DNA from the beginning. So anything that you can do that's kind of like a recurring series. What I would also say is just for search engine purposes, for branding purposes, Mm -hmm. I would do a couple of very basic, here's who we are as a company. Here's Mm -hmm. our product. Um, I would maybe bury those. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put that playlist at the top of my YouTube page, but I would put some very kind of like basic informational content about my company, about me as a founder um, on YouTube, because it's just such a strong search engine um, and, you know, tied into Google search results that I think it's just a really good idea to look at it as it's both a streaming entertainment platform, but it is also like a very powerful search engine. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. That was just, I took so many notes that like, I nervous that like you can hear my clicking on my microphone. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about people. We'll be right back. Want to cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower? Register now for PASA's 2024 Sustainable Agriculture Conference. Discover resources, services, and products at our expansive trade show, and explore more than 70 educational sessions on climate-smart practices, food justice, soil health, and more. Featuring a dynamic lineup of speakers, including Reginaldo Hasle Marroquin, farmer and founder of the Regenerative Agriculture Alliance and CEO of Tree Range Farms, and Reverend Dr. Heber M. Brown III, pastor, community organizer, and founder of the Black Church Food Security Network. Find your community at PASA's 33rd Annual Conference in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 8th through 10th. Register now at pasafarming.org slash HRN2024. That's P-A-S-A farming.org slash HRN2024. I'm back with Leah Haberman, and we are talking about social media, YouTube streaming, all of it. And um, you started talking about this a little bit before, you know, this move away from overly promotional um, sort of glossy, what I think of as like 2014 Instagram, very curated into a little bit grittier, you know, faces, people, organic, you know, just like, oh, here I am. I happen to be working at this company and this is our new seltzer that we just launched kind of vibe. Um, I guess what I, I guess there are a couple things as a brand that we think about. One is if those people leave the company. Um, two is, you know, basically asking your social team to become faces of the company if the, you know, founder of the company isn't quite ready to do that or isn't, you know, particularly good at it. Um mm-hmm. And, and I think three, I think some of us are like, isn't that kind of already, you know, midday squares, for example, they, they looked like they were a reality show and they happened to be a chocolate company. It feels a little bit like the founder sort of saying like, it's really hard. I can't, you know, the shipment isn't coming in. And like, I don't know if we're going to, there's something that feels a little bit tired of that, of, about that to some of the people running brands, but maybe that's just us because we're exhausted. So can you speak to those sort of three concerns that we have? Um, well, I mean, let's start with the the last one first and just say yeah. like, they're not creating content for you. 
Um, in the same way that, you know, you shouldn't be worried about what are my friends and family going to think of this content? Or if I put myself on camera, what are people going to be thinking about me? The -hmm. content is not for them. The content is for your customers or your potential customers. So if other founders or people in the industry don't love the content or think, oh, this is performative or this is played Mm -hmm. out, um, the content's not for you. So, you know, in Mm -hmm. the politest way possible, it's like, it doesn't matter what you think. Um, What Mm -hmm. matters is if it's resonating with their audience and they're seeing engagement or they're seeing sales conversions, like right. it it works for them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wh- like whether or not, okay, I, I, I haven't checked them out recently. I, I think I actually, I might follow them. I can't remember if it's on Instagram or TikTok. Um, so I, uh, you know, it's like maybe the, oh no, is the shipment coming in might be overplayed, mm-hmm. but I right. haven't seen it. Recently, <laughs> so I, I can't comment on that. But again, it's like, right. no, and not to call out them. I'm just saying, I feel like yeah, yeah. every founder video has this, like, this was really hard and you don't know how hard it is to run a business and, oh, yay, here's the chocolate, but we're not using this oil anymore. Like, I, I guess maybe I'm just jaded. I think it's thinking about your audience. And so if your yeah. audience is you're talking to other founders to encourage them, you know, maybe your company is such a success that you're no longer talking to customers. You're no longer talking to potential investors. You're talking to other founders to be more of kind of a thought leader or like source of inspiration. Um, then you think about that. If you're talking to customers, maybe customers, like I said, they love that hero's journey. Um, if you're talking to investors, then you do start seeding more success success stories or small wins. Um, it's really thinking about the intended audience and the perception that you want to create. And so like, what does that intended audience need to hear? Um, and near misses failures, like, Um, is the shipment going to show up is maybe great for the customer that's like, Oh, wow. Um, but you know, maybe it's not great for investors who, who will think like, this sounds like a hot mess. What's wrong with your supply Um, chain? Yeah. Yeah. It it really depends on who the intended audience is. But I think just the idea of the great thing about, I would say like startups, uh, small businesses, solopreneurs is like, we are seeing this trend whether you call it like, I love this, you know, people have been talking about like people are the new logos or faces are the new logos. I mm-hmm. think there's this, this move away from, you know, hearing from a brand and wanting to hear from a, a person, um, you know, customers, right. I, there was a study that came out recently where it was like, people trust friends, family, and influencers over information coming from a brand. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if you're a founder. Um, and if you're comfortable on social, then that's great. You put your face out there. Um, you're kind of like one step ahead of the game, certainly, you know, more so than a large company that doesn't necessarily have a founder Mm -hmm. or, you know, is run by a board of directors. Like we don't, you don't have, there's not necessarily somebody, you know, at the front of that company. Um, if you are not comfortable being on there. So I think there's different ways to think about it. Um, it might be your social team. It might be people within the company. Um, mm-hmm. I think you can designate people within the company that it doesn't necessarily have to be the social team. doesn't necessarily have to be, I don't know, the customer service person. It could be like a co-founder, another executive, um, you know, mm-hmm. somebody that you're, you're comfortable with. And they don't have to assume the role of like, I am spokesperson for this company. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just 
if it makes sense, and this is kind of part of the view or like the little slice of life that you want to give of your company, um, then that works. But you certainly, I do agree with you to the point where you're not giving them the keys to the kingdom and like pretending they're the founder or like pretending they're running the company. I think it's like, it's got to be very contextual in what their role is. And so it's like, Hey, um, you know, Allie's too busy running the company. She's handed her phone over to me. And so we're going to take a walk around, uh, you know, like the manufacturing plant today or something like that. Um, and so being very, keeping it like very honest and kind of contextual to what is happening. Um, but I think just that idea that like you do have an advantage in that, like it is your company, it is your story mm-hmm. show up as yourself yeah. um, as much as possible. If you're comfortable, um, you yep. know, doing that, if not your social team, if not somebody else you designate in the company, if not potentially right. customers, um, mm-hmm. if not maybe creators or micro influencer, yep. you know, nano or micro influencers. Mm-hmm. It's thinking about just all of the faces that can be part of the story that you're telling. Yeah. I really love what you said too about intended audience because it it goes back to the, you know, why and who and what are we making for it's the same stuff that you do when you're making an actual physical product good, right? Why does this product need to exist? Who am I making this for? Mm -hmm. What problem do they have that I'm trying to solve? How am I getting it to them? It's, it's all the same stuff, but instead of the content as a a part of selling your product, the content is its own product, which, you know, is, is a leap for a lot of us um, because we already have a product that's rather challenging to, to sell. Um, yeah. So now we just have to make a second business essentially, which, you know, is fine. It's par for the course, but right. you know, it, it, it's, um, it's good to know though. I think where we are happy um, is that the polish is out and the over edited and the over sort of um, scripted is out and, people are used to grittier film styles. You don't need to hire a whole camera crew for, you know, six weeks to film perfect, you know, episodes. Like there's a grittier way to do it. And that does seem that that's what people are looking for. Um, so that's good. That's very good news because it's expensive. It is expensive. I mean, I will say, um, it's funny, Emma Chamberlain, who's like one of Mm -hmm favorite influencers um, or Gen Z's favorite influencers. Like she did say once she's kind of, you know, one of the people that was credited with pioneering this very relatable raw style. And she said it actually took her as long to create this like real raw relatable style as it did the more produced. So it's not necessarily less time consuming, less expensive, but I think you're still, um, Production costs have gone down, but you're still mm-hmm. being very thoughtful and intentional about what you're doing. Um, so it's not sloppy. Like, I don't think I, right. I, you know, that's just one thing that I think I want to get across is like, you're not trading yes. like high production value for just like, you know, sloppy fo- photo or video. Um, there's still right. a lot of thought uh, that goes into what it is that you're doing. It's like cosplaying authenticity. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, and it's interesting. I, this is a question for you that is just sort of 
probably not even researchable, but just your gut instinct. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything swings cyclical back and forth. Do you think that, you know, similar to, I don't know, I interviewed someone a couple, I guess like about a year ago and he was talking about, you know, design, brand design and how everything was very pastel-y and very sort of like glossier-ish until it became the Burger King rebrand where everything's sort of seventies and sort of retro colors and super punchy. And then there's Mm -hmm. that like kind of loud, crazy, bright color blast in your face, you know, and everything is in response to the thing that came before. Do you see it shifting back anytime soon? Like, do you feel like this is, you know, maybe a couple of years of this and then it's going to get back to that sort of more precious, more curated very lovely, light touch kind of looking, highly edited vibe? Yes. Um, how many years it takes us to get there? I right. like that's hard to predict, but like, yes, everything is a, everything is cyclical. Um, you know, like some of the original influencers were bloggers in the early, mm-hmm. you know, 2000, mid 2000s. And now all mm-hmm. of a sudden blogs are making a comeback. Like it took you know, yep. 15 years, but blogs are back. Um, I don't know the yeah. blogs actually ever went away, but it's just that idea of like blogs are back, newsletters are back. Um, right. so yeah, I think things always come around again. Um, and yep. will it get more polished? Probably. I think depending on technology, depending on, you know, AI, I think AI is going to play a big role in that. Like, mm. um, what AI allows people to do, you know, like I feel like a, most of what I've seen with AI um, has been geared towards like uh, perfecting things. Um, and so, you know, polishing things, editing mm-hmm. things. Um, yep. So I don't know that AI necessarily, like I think AI as we, the tools that are available right now would be very hard uh, to ask or prompt AI for like, make it a little bit raw, <laughs> make it a little rough and make it look like right. real human. Like, I don't think AI is actually capable of that right now. And that's it's kind actually of- funny that you said that because I was writing, I had to write like a long form bio for something. Mm-hmm. And I took my bio and I was like, make this a little longer. <laughs> like, and then it was like, it was very AI-ish. It was like, all these words that I would never use. And then I was like, make it a little more relatable, you know, and make it a little less verby and wordy. And, you know, if we use, if we can, you know, like the AI usage continues to increase, um, it's like, it kind of goes one of two ways, either like AI starts to like bring that polish back just because that's what AI does, or does AI get smarter and the people who are, you know, building the AI tools managed to like inject more humanity into it. And so it like can start to replicate a little bit of the, like the imperfections that we're currently seeing. Um, yeah. and that is a trend right now. So it's it, like, yes, inevitably the polish will come back when and how soon Ooh. it's just, yeah, yeah, it's hard to predict. I was listening to pivot. I don't know if you, do you listen to pivot with Scott yes. Galloway yes, sure. and Kara? So it's like, I I mean, I talk about, I just, I love it, but I, and I'm not even in the world really of like big advertising, but they had this guest on and he was talking about, you know, I guess like advertisers just really de-risking where they're putting their spend and why that 
just means like no Twitter, basically. Mm -hmm. But that, and he was saying that there is this move back to, you know, reliable, not super clickbaity, more kind of grown up in a way, news sources. And, you know, not this like listicle thing where you show up, but it's that... He was just talking about, I guess, like quality over quantity. And he was saying that there is a shift back to like what you were saying with experts, you know, it's weird, right? Because on one hand we have, we have so much information coming at us all the time and we're ever more segmented and siloed that, but then these trusted voices matter more than ever. And they're back, you know, the blogger, the newsletter writer, the, you know, the expert. And when a brand can partner with those folks, they probably, maybe the reach isn't as big, but it's, it's a, it's a better, more quality ad spend. Yeah. Does that track? um, Like you said, it's like, I think either thinking of it as like the expert or the curator, like, you know, if it's more Mm -hmm. kind of lifestyle driven, Mm -hmm. um, Thinking about the people like I'm thinking of the old school magazine editor that like, yeah. you know, if you read Vogue or Allure or like Food and Wine or Bon Appetit or Gla- uh, Gourmet or mm-hmm. whatever it was, it was like they went through lots and lots of product um, yep. and picked out the best. And I think that that's what we're seeing now, like on blogs, in newsletters, um, even on social, you know, people are listing their favorite things. And I think it's just like yep. finding those trusted voices and listening to what they're saying. And like you said, I do think the reach is going down because everything is getting so fragmented because I think mm-hmm. brand reach is going down. I think creator reach is going down as well. I don't think, necessarily, you know, creators aren't necessarily reaching more people, Um but I think, like you said, they're kind of the, the intent, like the the quality is there or like the audience intent. Like these are people who are actually interested in, you know, whatever it what is. What you like, have to offer. Hair, sauce, yeah. and like, um, yep. you know, baking products, like whatever it is that you're yep. selling. These are, this is like yep. an invested audience that's really interested. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So you mentioned it earlier, but you were talking about what TikTok is sort of favoring. Um, and you know, one of the things that you said was TikTok shop. So I, I, I was at this consumer conference the other day and Dan Frommer from the new consumer put out this report about, it had a bunch of things, but one of them was about TikTok shop and it's selling these like, you know, this unbrush hairbrush sold 670,000 units. Like, like in the last, whatever it was, like short amount of time or this like teeth whitening thing and shapewear, like it seems like it's selling stuff. I, it's, it would be a very big jump for me to tell my team, like, actually we should like lean into TikTok shop for a condiment. Um, but on the other hand, retail sales are like the, the cycles are getting much longer because of labor in the stores. So it'd be great to have another type of Amazon where you Mm -hmm. could actually track and sell directly to consumers, even if you are paying the platform and you have to play by their rules, you know, you can go on there when you want and you can spend what you want. So part of me is like, that'd be cool. The other part of me is like, I don't know. So I'm curious your thoughts about TikTok shop. 
Um, so I think TikTok shop is going to be a bit of a struggle for them. Um, and mm-hmm. that's very, it's very anecdotal. Uh, I think we're going to have to wait to see the final numbers come out. I think the numbers right now are heavily subsidized. Um, mm. It was the information, I think, that got an exclusive article about how much money, I think it was $500 million that ByteDance was willing to lose on, um, you know, subsidizing various, like whether it was shipping or, you know, mm. like promotions, all kinds of different things. Um <clears throat> So right. I think there's things sense. where, yeah, I mean, there's, there's stores where like they're selling at like 90% discount where, you know, mm-hmm. of course people are going to be buying things, you know, once those subsidies run out, once people yep. have any kind of difficulty returning products or like ha- getting customer service, especially with like some of these things that you don't know where they're coming from. Um, you right. don't know that much about the vendor. Um, you know, I think that the first few months, TikTok is promoting this heavily. Um, they're going out to creators. They're going out to brands. They've got partnerships. Um, I think I saw it like there was a recent story where it was like, they're going out to businesses and they're encouraging that people are oh, yeah. live streaming for like a minimum of two hours at a time. Um, right. TikTok shops. And so I think like that big, heavy push, all of those subsidies, I think at the beginning, we're going to see a lot of like initially impressive numbers around, mm-hmm. you know, you'll get brands that'll say, oh, it's amazing. We sold a hundred thousand, a million dollars, five million worth of a lot of, of shapewear. Uh-huh. You know, some, <laughs> yeah, some, you know, probably also like very inexpensive or heavily discounted mm-hmm. item. Um, mm-hmm. and then it's but okay, let's see like in the next six, six months, when these subsidies end, once the novelty has worn off, um, once creators realize that and brands that it is very difficult to live stream for, you know, two hours, six hours, eight hours at a time. And that is, that is a specialty, like just showing up on doing social media and showing up on video, that's its own specialty. And, and, you know, like I've said this all, if you're comfortable, if you can do it, live streaming, that's its whole, you know, that's a whole different thing. Um, And so if you're not on QVC, like, you don't necessarily know how to live stream. And so if you've Mm -hmm. never thought about doing some sort of like home shopping network or QVC, you're not necessarily suited for, you know, getting into TikTok shop. Um, So I think we're going to have to wait and see the data. And I think there's this kind of, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're going through this as well. Like everybody's a little bit like hesitating, like, do we jump on this because it turns out to be the next Amazon Mm -hmm. or six to 12 months from now has this like disappeared because Mm -hmm. what worked in China does not work for a North American audience. Um, There's a lot for TikTok to be happy about this year. Like they are after YouTube, they're the second, uh, you know, most like favorite app uh, for teenagers. They Mm -hmm. uh, consistently rate for like most time spent on the app. Um, There's like a lot of reasons that YouTube should be happy, specifically more around like it's entertaining content, like it's streaming content. Um, It is a, it's an entertainment platform, uh, you know, to most people, um, but they don't necessarily want to be that they're trying to reinvent Mm -hmm. themselves um or you know maybe this was the plan all along it's just that they didn't roll it out until now and mm, to me the jury's still out uh i i mean it is interesting because 
on one hand, there's never been as many sales or marketing channels. I mean, there's so many mm-hmm. and we kind of feel like we have to be everything everywhere all at once. And on the other hand, you know, if it's going to take 18 months for a retailer to be able to get your product or your new product or whatever it is on their shelves, because it's just, you know, it's like, you know, it's heavier, it's people and it's boxes and it's, you know, trucks. And somehow it's just so much lighter when it's e-commerce. We are kind of like, I think we're all sort of like, is there... Is there any place where we can be selling, where we can, you know, maybe impact our own destiny a little bit more? The sales cycle is a little shorter. And right now, Amazon's looking pretty good. You know, if you have a shelf-stable product and it's pretty lightweight and you can figure out the pricing, the margin isn't terrible. And so, you know, another Amazon type of thing for brands is kind of appealing, Um but it doesn't sound like I'm going to be investing in TikTok shop just yet. I'm going to hold off. So thank you for that. I have another question. Um, yeah. We love Pinterest. I'm a Pinterest person since 2010. We have like over 200,000 followers on Pinterest. It is a magical place. I think it has all the nice parts um, without some of the yucky parts. Um, I don't think Pinterest TV quite nailed it. Um, they were trying to do something like a QVC also. I think brands are trying to figure out how to leverage Pinterest. I don't know that it converts either. What are your general thoughts on it? Where do you think it goes? How do you think brands can optimize Pinterest? Cause it's a lovely, it's, it's really lovely. It's creative and it's friendly you know, it is a lovely, creative, friendly platform. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Pinterest is tricky and I've struggled with this. Um, I feel like I've been on the platform probably about as long as you have. And I struggle mm-hmm. with Pinterest. I think it's a lovely place to be. Um, it is good for search. Uh, it yeah. comes up high in search results. So if you post content about your product, about your brand, um, and, you know, and you use all the keywords, Um, And especially pay attention to the trend cycles and the holidays and the schedule that Pinterest sends out. They're very good at communicating with brands when you should post stuff. Um, So I think if you pay attention to all those things, um, you know, I think it's very good for search. Um, Surprisingly, uh, teenagers make up more than 40% of their active monthly users right now. And it's like their fastest growing users are teens. Um, so I think if you're, you have a product that's appealing to a younger audience, that's a really good place to be. Um, but I did buy something off of Pinterest today. I bought this, (laughs) I, I was scrolling and they must know that I'm like in my fifties or something because there was this like face mask that like you peel off and it like evens out your complexion and gets rid of, you know, dark spots. And I was like, yep. And I swiped up and I Apple paid and I was like, wow, they got me. They, I don't know how they knew that I would be interested in that. There must be something about what I do on my algorithm, but it, it was funny. Cause I was like, I think this is the first thing I've ever bought off of Pinterest. Like it, the ad worked, which yeah. I, I was sort of like, huh. And I think it's a little bit of a barbell where it's like, you've got an audience that's like, 
you know, at the kind of like the older end of the audience. And then you've got mm-hmm. like a really like young audience. And mm-hmm. I feel like the Pinterest teen audience, like, I don't even know what that experience looks like. I don't know what a teen mm-hmm. feed looks like on Pinterest. Obviously not a teenager. Um, I would be fascinated to look and see, you know, if somebody was mentioning like their teenage daughter saves memes on Pinterest. Uh, um, oh. And that's not my Pinterest feed, but I think it's interesting. No. I think Pinterest is probably grappling with this as well. Like you've right. got face masks and lifestyle products and, you know, brides planning for their weddings. And then yep. meanwhile, you've got this like really fast growing audience of teenagers that are saving memes. And like, how do you serve both of those types of audiences. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know that I have any great advice on Pinterest. I, but I, like, I think it is a very positive platform. Um, and it does not hurt to be on there. I think it's maybe, uh, probably one of the lower lift, like less effort required than the other platforms. Yeah. And I mean, I will say that maybe it's because I'm sort of looking at tile a lot you know, I wouldn't know about Zia Tile if not for Pinterest or, you know, some of these like hardware companies that, so it, maybe it's again, also just a little bit of, you know, industry, like home seems to be where they really shine, at least for me. Um, but there's a lot of shapewear on there too. Yeah. It's anything lifestyle, it's food, fashion, beauty, home, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's all of those things that are really visual, um, that are kind of like aspirational or inspirational. Um, that's, they do really well with that. And then clearly yeah. there's an audience, there's a new audience and, um, you know, memes. like how, memes. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know how you advertise against that. I wonder but... if I could make a meme with sauce. Um, okay. Well, the last one that I want to ask about is LinkedIn. Um, because, I think you said LinkedIn is the new Twitter. Um, That might've been you. I think you coined that. Mm I, um, I am not on any other social media other than LinkedIn. I think it's fantastic. I love meeting people through it. I think it's an absolute network builder. It's a great place for me to talk about business things, not just like this is my dog. And, and yet, for brands, um, I'm curious if you think it's a new place to put content as brands or if it really is more, you know, me as the founder talking about our new product or we got this new distribution or here are my five tips for not, you know, burnout or whatever it is. Like what, how do you think LinkedIn's going to evolve and like specifically for founders of emerging brands, is there something that we should be leveraging or thinking about that we aren't at the moment? You know, I think LinkedIn, um, like I, I hope I coined LinkedIn is the new Twitter, but somebody else probably said it. I probably read that somewhere, <laughs> but I, I do believe it. Um, I think LinkedIn benefits a little bit like Pinterest. They're also, um, you know, Gen Z is one of their fastest growing demographics, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, which kind of makes sense. They're joining the workforce. They're going to be joining LinkedIn looking for careers. Um, You're going to read a lot of predictions about how there's going to be a lot of B2B uh, creators or influencers on the platforms. But I think Mm -hmm. that's not the only thing to look for. One of the other things that I'm seeing on LinkedIn is a lot of social media managers are, you know, either Gen Z or, you know, maybe young millennials. They're the people that are posting as brands 
on LinkedIn. And so if you look at, I've noticed this a lot with uh, software companies, especially mm-hmm. um, HubSpot, um, SEM Rush, Vista Social, different companies that if you go look at their feeds, they are using LinkedIn in a completely different way than mm. a lot of, you know, the more traditional way that we have seen mm-hmm. brands use mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Um, so I think, again, if you're a startup or a solopreneur, um, you know, you're a founder, you have an advantage, people yeah. or, you know, personal posts, personal pages um, get yep. a lot more reach on LinkedIn than brands do. So I think mm-hmm. first things first, always best to post as yourself as the founder of the company um, to show yep. up on LinkedIn and talk about the company, talk about the success, talk about shine a spotlight on the employees, um, talk about what yep. you're doing, show up in a way also that's like, you know, I don't know that you need to be like Twitter, but I'm seeing kind of like a blend of like, it's a little bit of Twitter. It's a little bit of Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going quite like, here's what I ate for breakfast, but it's right. definitely kind of like a little bit more of a casual, candid voice than we have yes. known of the platform. Um, but then also, yes, I do see brands showing up in a little bit more of a an informal way than they have been um, mm. on LinkedIn. And they're still sharing interesting information or things that are you know, on brand for them. But I think just in a way that maybe we were more used to them sharing on Twitter, where it might have been a right. little bit more conversational and a little bit less polished. Um, right. You know, again, I think LinkedIn is like all of the other platforms. We're moving yeah, away from a little bit less formal, a little less polished. Yeah. And like LinkedIn yeah. is part of that. Yeah. No, it makes sense. It's like, you're, you're unbuttoning a little bit, but you're not like completely untucking the shirt. You're right. just, you know, you're, you're like loosening it up just a tad, which feels more real and authentic and relatable. Um, and that's amazing. Okay. We covered so many things. Is there, did I forget anything, Leah? Is there something you're dying to tell everyone that I forgot to ask you about? Um, no, I think we, you know, it's like show up as yourself, um, tell yeah. your story. We're moving away from polish. Um, yep. And I think it's just, you know, the platform is going to depend on where you're comfortable, where you like posting. Um, and then thinking about the intended audience and thinking about yes. a little bit, like you said, it's like you're building a company, you're building a media business at the same time, and you're thinking about audience. And so like with LinkedIn, I think it's an advantage, you know, take advantage of the audience that's on LinkedIn thinking about these might be investors, these might be potential partners. Yeah, no, that all makes so much sense. And this has been like the best hour ever. And I can't thank you enough, Leah, for coming on the show and for just spilling all of this wisdom. You're, you're going to make a lot of people really happy. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Allie. And Liam, thank you as always for engineering. Obviously, um, I am not particularly tech savvy as everyone knows. So without you and Heritage Radio, I would not be able to do this every week. And listeners, welcome back. Happy New Year. Um, And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.